Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Smathers and Branson. Back in 2004, Peter and Austin, the founders of Smathers and Branson, were in college and uh, their girlfriends made them a couple needlepoint belts. That is kind of the premise of how this whole business started. So after college, the the two decided, hey, why don't we try and make these needlepoint belts a business? And, you know, years later now, decades later, they've got an incredible business. Obviously, they make way more than needlepoint belts now. They have accessories, hats. Now they're even doing loafers. So check them out. It's smathersandbranson.com. You know, you can get all kinds of varieties. This is not just the the stuff you see in the pro shop with the club logo. You can see get all types of different logos, all different types of non-golf things as well as golf things uh, at smathersandbranson.com and use the promo code FRIEDEGG, no spaces, that's FRIEDEGG at smathersandbranson.com for 15% off your order with free shipping. So thanks uh, to Smathers and Branson for the support. And now on to today's episode. Today, we are joined by the great Shane Bacon. He is obviously one of the co-hosts of uh, Golf Channel's Golf Today. He's on TV almost every day there, as well as the host of Get a Grip with Max Homa, a stellar podcast that I would highly recommend to anybody listening to this. You're clearly a golf fan. If you're a golf fan, uh, Max and Shane have an awesome podcast that gives you unbelievable insights. So Shane joined and we talk about the uh, 2021 US Open, everything that happened Sunday, and then some more big picture things and uh, a little bit of chat about the Olympics and the Open Championship at the end. Without further ado, here is Shane Bacon. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hey, Shane, how much does the East Coast uh, time zone suck to watch sports? <sighs> Andy, I'm trying so hard to be positive about all of these things, but I got home from Tory Monday at about 1 a.m., traveling across the country with a two-year-old on an airplane, and on all I wanted to do Tuesday night is stay up and watch the Suns, and it just took everything I have. Like I, It was my Jordan flu game to stay up to watch <laughs> – the entire Suns game and I did it and I'm so thankful I did it. I saw the eight and put back. What a finish, but this it's, it's insanity, dude. Dave, I told you my, my, my rule I think should be the case of this. Have I told you this about East coast uh-huh. sports? Um, much like relegation in soccer, if you're the worst record in the league or even just the worst record in the Eastern conference, the next year, you have to play all your home games at noon Eastern, so it gives people something to watch during the day. Or maybe it's 4 p.m. I don't care. But some the players would to, hate that so much. They, they play hard not to finish dead last. <laughs> it gives them incentive, but at least give me something at like 
Give me a sport at 3 p.m. I mean, if it's not baseball, what Sunday, about baseball? Nah, it's just not gonna. I'm not gonna do it, man. I <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to pay less attention to things, not more. And uh, when I stopped playing baseball in my teenage years, I was kind of out, and I don't think I'm gonna get back in. It's uh, it's the baseball is like the perfect argument for having scarcity in your sport. You know, That's 162 right. games, just too many. Somebody, I don't remember who it was that was on Twitter um, during the U.S. Open, but they were in New York and they said the Yankees game was starting at like 3 p.m. on Saturday. And all, it might have been like Peter Burns or something and said all the TVs in the bar flipped to this random middle of the season Yankee game. And the U.S. Open's going on like Saturday at the U.S. Open's like, sorry, it's game 54 of the Yankee season. We're turning all the TVs to that. It's, I don't know. I'm not. I can't do the baseball thing. I don't fault anybody that loves the sport. It's just not for me. You know, it's just not. There's, I mean, a lot of people trash NBA, and it is what it is, but I'm just not going to spend my time watching a baseball game. I watch playoffs occasionally. You know, it, many are saying that the key to the Sun season was you leaving Phoenix. It's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a circulated rumor. I'm, uh, I, I was texting with some friends last night about game two. I think we're going to try to get tickets and go to game two. And, and apparently we have ends if they make the finals. Uh, I feel bad if I fly back. Are they going to lose by 40, 50? I mean, I, you know, it might have been me holding them back this whole time. But <laughs> I, from afar, it's nice to watch. It's like the most fun basketball team since the early season Warriors. And I'm not in Arizona for the first time in like 15 years. It's, uh, it's very special. Yeah, I remember talking to you at the beginning of the year about this. I was like, his sons are finally fun and you're gone. You know, it sucks. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, you were out at Tory, uh, doing live from, doing golf today, all, all sorts of stuff out there. What, uh, what will be your lasting impressions from the 2021 U.S. Open? Big, big question here. I think, you know, for me, like, honestly, looking back on this, it'll be finally getting a young player that won a major, you know, I mean, that went out and won it. We, I've been talking to a lot of people. I was listening to you guys on shotgun start. I don't know if this is just a thing that doesn't happen as much in majors, or we maybe just think it happens more often than it, than it does, but like going and getting it, winning a major championship, you winning it, not waiting for somebody else to lose it. It just doesn't happen as much as you think it, it does. I mean, even thinking about the PGA, I mean, Phil played fantastic and solid golf, but there was never that push that, that that made it necessary for Phil to make those late birdies. I think the ROM finishes the first time since Phil at Muirfield, where somebody birdied the last two holes in a major to win. And so you think about that, what was that, eight years ago? I mean, that's a long time. And we're not talking about Schwartzel's finish, just two birdies over the last two holes. So I think, you know, in three or four years when we think about Tory in 21 i think it'll be the rom finish that, that we go back to because you know i mean i you guys talked a lot about this throughout the week you and brendan did but there, it doesn't have to be a great golf course to have a great championship and i think it was a great championship considering all the names that were in it and i think it was as exciting as you're going to get uh especially you know with all the characters involved so it'll be the rom finish that i'll remember i think in five years from now yeah that's the thing i i 
I think about major championships and I always think the best championships are when you look up at the top of the leaderboard and and if you're a player that's in tenth, you say to yourself, Man, I I didn't really see that score out there. I didn't I that wasn't in the bag this week because you know, but this major championship in terms of like television drama, compelling Sunday coverage, this outside of like a two person duel was about as good as it gets because there's there's 12 guys that could win in, in the middle of this, in, in, you know, golf course in, in, to a certain extent, keeping people close together also has a very high entertainment value. And I think it also, it, it aided the finish here. I mean, who would have said to, with the way things were going on that back nine for everybody, when Louis Eustazen, uh makes par on 12, if you say, oh, you play even par in, you win. Everybody, everybody would have been like, "Yeah, he he's going to win if he plays even par." And because at that time, it, Harris English all of a sudden looked really good at three under. Three, I I legitimately thought three might be a playoff. You know, once he finished and shot sixty eight, so I was doing featured holes all week with Trevor Immelman, and our holes were eleven, twelve, thirteen, and that's where all the craziness was happening. You know, on yes. Sunday, and so we've got all this stuff going on, and balls stuck in trees, and. Colin Morikawa kind of forgets how to play golf on 13 for half an hour and Bryson slips on 13 and his, he, he ends his championship on the par five. You know, I mean, there was, there was a moment where I was convinced hundred percent that Bryson was going to win. There was a moment I was convinced hundred percent that Kepka was going to win or at least get a playoff. I, I felt a little bit like it, it felt a little for a while, like there was, it wasn't going to be wrong. And then all of a sudden, it might be Rom. He makes the putt on 17. I'm like, okay, maybe Rom gets in a playoff. And then the birdie at 18, and you're at six, and you go, okay, now Louis got to catch you. It's crazy to think that there was a time where I was convinced one of, like, what, the top seven best players on the planet were going to win a major. I, I can't really remember the last time. I keep going back to 2011 Augusta when all those guys were in the mix late, you know, and you had, and if you think about it, it was kind of peak Jason Day and, Adam Scott was in the mix. Tiger was kind of flirting with it for a bit. And then Schwartzel goes out and wins it. It felt a little like the 11 Masters to me. Uh, and, and there was equal amount of throwing up on yourself and equal amount birdies, right? So mm-hmm. that's why it was it was cool because you were getting both the good and the bad of major golf. So, listen, I, I know you're not an enormous fan of Torrey Pines. You and I have had conversations about it before. But – Drama wise, I mean, you know, you kind of are two for two in what you're looking for in a major because it was exciting. And again, you could have an exciting major championship on a a dirt track if you have the best in the world involved. And uh, and we got exciting golf again at Tory. So, you know, you got to I guess you got to give it credit for at least giving us great majors when it comes around to it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, storybook finishes both times around, and uh, I think I think I I struggle with that that kind of defense just because like when do we have the best players in the world get together and they don't you know we don't have a great leaderboard every single time they get together the best players in the world get together we have a great leaderboard um you know i i think um i i got questions about 11 through 13 yeah i mean it seemed like Rory hit perfect shots, uh, the best shots of any player on eleven, and he like uh, would make both. He make oh bogeys and pars. And then, and then, how many guys hit that putt on twelve on Sunday, like twenty feet by? And then, what happened on the thirteenth tee? Like, what yeah. was going on? Did you have any insight into those? So, 
11. Okay. Tell me, you, you know, you know, a, 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 as much about architecture as anybody I know. I keep going back to 11 at Torrey, especially this week at the U S open. It felt a little like 17 at Bay Hill. Does that make sense? It, it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. a long iron. You can't really get the ball close. The best shot you can hit is to hit it to about 20, 25 feet, but it's the smart shot, right? You're playing it to the fat part of the green. You've got to use the slopes to get the ball close. And then Rory gets up there and hits exactly what you're looking for. Nobody hit it was nobody was hitting it whole high. And he gets on the tee and he hits it dead center of the green to 30 feet. And you go, perfect. You made par. Eleven was the hardest hole for the entire week at That's where Pines, which is, he, you thought he might win. Exactly. Exactly. Considering the way he'd played 12 throughout the week, he'd birdied it each of the first three rounds. So he hits it to 30 feet. He hits just an awful putt. I mean, just awful. Leaves it six feet low and 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 short. And I I was on live from on Saturday talking about Rory. And I said, what we've seen from Rory this week is different than what we've seen from Rory in the past. I went back to Thursday when he finished in the dark. Remember when they made Justin Rose run up to the tee at 18? Rory's playing basically in the dark, and he wedges it to that back left hole location, which typical Rory over the last seven years hits that there. It rips back 30 feet. He two putts, he two putts for par. He gets off the golf course, and you kind of go, ah, you probably left one out there. You didn't birdie 18. He wedges it to eight feet and makes that putt. There was a moment on, what was it, 15, where he hits it left, or 14, where he yeah. hit it left on Saturday, and he somehow saves bogey. And you go, that's a place where Rory makes double a lot, and he saved five. It just, there were these moments with Rory throughout the week where that was where he would typically let these majors get away from him, and he wasn't letting them get away from him. Yeah, and Sunday, he's just kind of like plugging along. He's not doing yeah. anything spectacular, but he's not, you know, everybody's shooting themselves out of the tournament, and you're, and all of a sudden, names are falling out, and you're like, oh, Rory. Yeah, so he hits it there. He hits just, I mean, he hits just the typical Rory putt that he's done over the last, you know, five, six years where he's got six feet, doesn't hit the hole, um, does the hand thing, you know, the thing I love where he's, you know, he's kind of doing this, and you're like, well, you didn't hit the hole from six feet. I don't really know which way you thought it was going to break. Then he hits it in the fairway bunker on 12. He gets an awful break. A lot of those balls were kind of feeding into the bunker. Of course, his plugs into that, the downslope lip. I mean, you can't, that's just, that's It was just a, a terrible bunker shot, though, too, to hit it over there. Oh, I mean, it was, oh yeah, it was, the fa it was the fanny one. I mean, you can hit yeah. it middle of the green. He had, I think he had like 179 or something. It's like, hit it in the middle of the green with an eight iron and you're fine. Maybe a seven iron and he, and he, and he hits that, the scared swing where you miss it right plugs in there and then it's done he makes double and it's over i'll tell you this he hit the best shot on 13 i saw all week long oh, give himself a chance incredible. at eagle um i have a lot of takes on 13 i'd like to get to, with you on at some point i talked about it on get a grip with max yesterday uh that episode's out but um he still but it's like he makes double and you know he hadn't really done that throughout the week and you were kind of waiting is Rory going to finally not have this this hole that shoots him out of a championship out of a major and he goes bogey, double there, and he's done. And that's that's it for Rory. Uh, I've talked about this too, Andy, to, going from Rory to Kepka. Kepka had a Kepka had a chance to post five, you know, which would have changed the entire dynamic of this this late major championship. And he just makes an awful bogey on eighteen. Terrible bogey on twelve too. The three putt on twelve was really bad. Yeah, and, and you asked about the three putts on twelve. Everybody, uh, Kepka did it. Bryson did it. Paul Casey did it. Everybody was running that putt 
not four feet by. I mean, yeah. Kepka had Kepka had twelve feet. Louis ran it by and made it from like nine feet. Bryson ran it by and missed that putt. Everybody, I don't know what was going on on twelve, but everybody that hit it late, that hit it over there on the right, that gave themselves the putt you need because there were three birdies on twelve all day long. Everybody that hit it over there ran it by eight or nine feet. I mean, you never see that, Andy. You never see that anywhere yeah. to run it that far by. And we kept getting player after player after player doing it. It was so wild. And, of course, Louie gets up there and makes the comebacker that everybody was missing. Everybody was missing it left. And then you get to 13. They've got the team moved up. We saw players slipping. I don't know if it made the telecast, but Patrick Cantlay was, was fairly close to whiffing his tee shot. That's how much he slipped on the tee there at 13. Like – for him to make contact, Trevor and I were talking about it's like it was unbelievable athleticism for him to make contact. His right foot was what off could possibly the be going. What, I, don't, it was, what? I don't know. It's just close to the ocean. It's I don't know. It's you know, it was like it was just that hangy, heavy air all week. And for whatever reason, that T players were slipping on. I don't know what the reasoning was, but it was more it was you saw more slips there than anywhere else. I wonder if spikes were actually a detri- detriment on that T box. Because like if you're playing in tennis shoes, I feel like you never slip, even if it's wet. Yeah, but Bryson, Bryson said it right when he made contact. He goes, "I can't. I did it again." And he looked at his shoe, and he goes, "My shoe's clean." Um, I, I'm wondering if Bryson needs nails. I feel like Bryson was a. Was I a, think he has nails, but but I think he might have changed because I didn't hear him as much this week. So maybe he's gone to side soft. Maybe that's something he's going to change uh, after he does some serious experimental. Uh, you know, you know, uh. Procedures get a spike on what he guy. should do. Get a spike guy, get a fan guy, get a light guy, get an umbrella guy. But it was wild. That 13th hole was wild. And then you had you had Colin Morikawa make the most confusing decision of the week. He had 318 in and hits three wood and blows it in the right rough. You can't be there. He makes double. Bryson lays up in the right rough. You can't do that. That's you know, insane. Louie hits his layup in the right rough, and then his ball somehow stays on that ledge, which had to have been about a two-foot area that the ball doesn't roll back on. But, you know, I love I love the USGA and I love the US Open. I mean, it's been a big part of my life and it's been a big part of my career. That 13th hole was bad all week. You know, I watched a lot of golf there and there's no reward. That was my big thing is there was no way to get rewarded there. On Saturday, the best shot we saw in, Kepka banged his second shot into the lip of the bunker and it landed on the grass slip of the bunker and then kicked on the green. Balls that were landing on the green were rolling over. Balls that were landing short were rolling back 70 yards. There was no reward. That's the issue is you at least need to be rewarded if you can hit a good golf shot. I talked to Homa about it. He was saying that that back tee, it just doesn't, it doesn't help the hole at all. It's a tough tee shot unless you're one of the top 10 longest guys on tour. Uh, I just felt like 13 played poorly all week. Phil Phil talked about that a lot uh, in his pre pre show. It, actually, after the first round, you know, he, he he was just like, "There's just nowhere to hit it." I don't know, I don't know, I don't know exactly what the number is. That the thing that I think with it is that if you lay up short of the big valley, you're just too far away. Then you know. And, and Max talked about it being a blind layup, and Ma- Max was saying on, on Get a Grip. You, you guys listen to it if you want. He was great this week as he always is, but he was talking about. He said the thing he dislikes the most in golf is blind layups because he says it's like they're trying too hard to make it difficult. And, you know, he's saying you're laying up with an eight iron. You know, you're laying up with an eight iron to a blind area and then to hit a wedge. It's just not – it doesn't really 
make a lot of sense for 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 trying to test the best in the world. It, it was, but it was it was it was a game of avoiding divots. Again, that's so luck. And that's where every municipal Joe hits it too. Everybody right. hits from there, so it's just it's going. There's not enough fairway down there either. Is the other problem? It's like a tiny little ribbon, so it's like it's twenty yards wide. Of course, it's going to be just littered with divots because you know the balls are coming down. There's just it's just so much of chance. And we saw what was it was it in the first round? Bryson ended up down there in the divot. second round. Yeah, second where he, round. He, yeah. He, had, he had that hybrid in. It was about a yard short of the green. Rolls all the way back down in a divot. I think he makes six there. Yeah, and um, you know it's. And, and 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 he got a he got a crappy break, right? I mean, it was a bad break to to have the ball. I'd say he hit probably two great golf shots. He smoked his tee shot, and I think that second shot was exactly how he wanted to play it. And it was probably a yard or two short of the putting surface, right at it, and it rolls back to the same spot that anybody that's just laying up with a seven iron was laying it up to. So I don't know that that to me, if you were kind of going to write out, if I just simply wrote out how that hole played, I don't think people would read what I was writing and go. Oh, that sounds like an, an awesome par five. And what's crazy, Andy, is we don't get a lot of U.S. Opens that have two par fives on the back. That mm -hmm. rarely happens. So to have a U.S. Open course that has two par fives on the back, it would be fun if they both gave opportunity for good. And I felt yeah. like they gave opportunity for bad, and we saw two big doubles from two of the best in the world. But, you know, we didn't see some, some amazing three. Now, Rory almost made a three, but we didn't see some amazing eagle some guy, you know, like like when Kepka was trying to chase down Gary Woodland and he flies that hybrid on 18 over the flag stick. You know, those those are the moments that make championships. Well, and, and further further to that point, Woodland's, uh, you know, hitting 14 and two that year was such a huge moment. Yeah, that's right. Great point. Exactly. You know, the 13th. It did provide some entertainment. I, I will say that, it, you know, it. And this is like sometimes like what what we talk about on, on Shotgun Start a little bit, but like sometimes things can be so bad that they turn good. And right. That might be an example of a hole that was so bad that it was like, oh, it's pretty fun to watch because, you know, Bryson's, uh, Bryson's obviously self-destruct. I think like that's the thing that I go back to with this tournament and is like John Rahm went out and won it on the last two holes, right? He got some good breaks along the way. He got some bad breaks. But like there are, there's got to be ten guys that left that tournament feeling like they could have won it. You know, not Bryson. I know he said he could have gotten it to eight or nine when he finished at three over. That's a little bold of a claim. But like you look at, like you get a break here, you get a break there. I think that's the thing that one of the things I'll take away from it is that like this one really came down to a bounce or two. And 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 the wrong bounce even on eighteen. I mean, you think about the the bounce. I mean, that ball could have kicked left, right, his second shot. And it kicks into the bunker on the down slope, and then Rom's got to kind of create a birdie opportunity, which he did. Mm -hmm. He did it unbelievably. Um, can I? Can we talk to Bryson comments? I know it's been a couple days, but I I keep going back to this. You know when you are using the directions on your phone to go somewhere, mm -hmm. I just feel like Bryson's comments after golf almost are always you going the opposite direction that your phone's telling you to go. You know, like the phone's going up here, take a right. And I feel like Bryson always takes a left. That you should be upset. You were standing on 10T leading the U.S. Open, trying to win back-to-back. -back. This has happened seven times in the history of the U.S. Open. Don't walk – and you shoot 44 and you walk up and you go – You've gone I'm 30 already, straight holes with no bogey. And, and you go, I'm already over it. 
Like you're not, I mean, you shouldn't be over it. If you're already over it, then you are, then your mentality about this championship is wrong. I mean, you can't shoot 44 on the final round of a U.S. Open that you're leading on the 10th tee and walk off and go, I'm already over it. I've already won one of these. Because if that's your mentality, then just skip U.S. Opens forever. Because if you've already won one and you don't care to win another, or you don't care that you had a great opportunity to win back to back, then why are you teeing it up there in the first place? It you should be upset. It you we want you to be upset as a golf fan. We want you to be upset because you played like crap down the stretch when you had a great opportunity to win. You know, Andy to win a U.S. Open on on the on the on the East Coast at this exclusive private golf course that's historic. To couple that with winning on the West Coast, this public back golf course back. the next year back to back. What a story that is. And to to say you're over it, to me, A, I don't buy it. And B, why do you feel like that's the road you should go down? Just just say you're upset. We all we all would understand that. Yeah. I I, I completely agree. I think his press conferences are just ridiculous. I he's it's like he's trying to put on like a show. I love that he was like mad about the term derailed. <laughs> Came off the rails. Like, well, how else would you describe what happened? You shot like you... 44. 44. Yeah. Like, if you shot 40, we'd be going, man, that was brutal. And 44, I mean, you and I played some competitive golf through our lives. When you shoot one of those rare times where you come in on some just some awful number, I know there are moments where you just have to laugh it off. But You're like shell-shocked a lot of times. You're you just can't like, oh, believe gosh. it. Right. And like that's the thing is like I would be if I were in his shoes I'd imagine I'd be like I you know to be honest like I don't even know what happened right everything was in control and then it wasn't like that's kind of what it looked like what happened like and I think that it it shows a little bit like how high of a level it you know when you're playing at at that uh you know in contention leading at a u.s open and how small the margin is for error to where it can just tailspin into an utter disaster i think that's like one of the things that should give everybody an appreciation is like just like these guys they don't have like a, a ford f-150 that can you know you can burn the oil down and you know go without an oil change have some things broken these these are like lamborghinis that one little thing gets like a little off and and all of a sudden it a lot of things don't work well. And I think one of the things that I took away, I came away so bullish on Bryson because, like, he really didn't play very good the first two days. And then it was, and he's still, like, always within shouting distance just because his floor is so low or floor is so high in terms of, like, golf. Like, I, that, that 44 might be the worst round of golf we see him play for a long time. Yeah, I, I said it on live from on, I think, Saturday when Damon and I were on live from. I said, Bryson's proving that he has the best BNC game since Tiger. I mean, his BNC mm-hmm. game can 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 compete. Now, I mean, you could probably argue that Kepka's is up there as well, which is obviously very fun that, that those are the two guys you debate. But Bryson's ability to get himself in, in the conversation in these championships where it sure doesn't seem like he's got his best stuff is is what we yearn for from guys like Rory, right? It's what we hope to see from the Rory's and the Speets and the Justin Thomases of the world because we want them to be in contention even if it's not their the week that, that they're supposed to win. 
Hey, so back to Rom. I think obviously, like he was, I think the guy that everybody was like, well, he's going to win a major soon. He was like right. the de facto who's going to be the next first time win- major winner. I think everybody would go John Rom. I think I, I even was getting a little, rec- uh, you know, restless waiting for at least a close call uh, from him where he was really in the mix. Um, and obviously now he he has his major. Who would you say is is the guy now that we would that you would look at or a couple guys immediately that jump off the page is like he's the next major winner, first time major winner? I mean, I think the answer is Xander. I, I think Xander's the answer. I think Finau's probably the bet. So you're probably going to get a better number on Tony Finau in, in in terms of who's the next you know ma- person to break into the major world. Finau's just been so unbelievable in these majors finishing the top 10 that you just expect that if he keeps doing that, he's eventually going to win a major championship. So I would probably have Xander first just because I think Xander's the most talented of the bunch that hasn't won one. Um, I think Finau should be up there considering what he's done basically up until this U.S. Open. And probably a sleeper in the world is Cantlay, right? I, I think Cantlay is is a name as well. But you know, you know, dude, like you can go through this European tour list of players, you know, Tyrrell Hatton and Fitzpatrick, your favorite. I mean, there, there are some of those guys on that, on that side of things. Sung Jay is, is another one that, that I feel like any of these guys that win a major would not be surprising, but I feel like Xander's game. He just is there so much. I, I expect Xander to be a major champion before maybe some of those other guys. I mean, he finishes. He's finished in the top ten in over fifty percent of his his tries. I, obviously, I think that's one. Hovland is another one I would throw in there also. Um, but it, it's. Uh, I feel like everybody that we f- think really should have one at this point has one. Now, yeah, exactly. With Rob totally having, agree with you. Yep. Because like you start, you look through the rankings. It's like none of them. Like you know, Xander. If he gets one, he gets one. But he, he, you know, and I think he he's getting to that level, but he was nowhere near like the Rom, you know. Oh, the other guy, Ricky. You know, everybody asks about Ricky. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to bring him up. I, I didn't want to say anything about it. So I'm going through. So top ten in the world. Uh, Xander's the the highest ranked player without a major. He's fifth in the world. Cantlay's seventh. Uh, Hatton's eleven, and then Hovland's fourteen, and Finau's fifteen. It's it is crazy. You make such a great point. It's like. As you go down this list, there isn't really a name that screams off the board, right? That that says mm-hmm. I I I I should have a major by now. I, I don't really feel like there is that name after Rom when it won one. Uh, but have I have I run through my 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 Sunday major thing with you yet? Have I have I talked to you about my Sunday Brooks thing? Basically going back to the the 2019 Masters. Go for it. I I'm looking forward to this. Okay, so um, I don't have all my notes in front of me, so I'm just gonna That's have to fine. go off memory. But if, you, uh, if, you, if you're a little off, I, we won't we won't kill you. <laughs> uh, 2019 Masters has two great putts at the end. Doesn't hit the hole on either of them. Mm-hmm. I would I would say as good a look as I can remember somebody having on 17 at Augusta. I mean, that's such a hard hole. You don't ever see anybody hit it close. He hit it really close on 17, uh, and then he hit hit it on 18 close and did the Rory thing where he's doing the hand like it went the other way. Um, I re- those, are, a- those are two putts that I really vividly remember. And I think the thing that got me about those two putts is like, we see Kepka like always putts so well in these things. Those two putts, he looked almost a little out of sorts on him. 
Like they like everything. It just didn't feel like he hit the putts the way he hit putts normally. And I don't know if that was a little bit of the tiger juice coming right. at, at him. Yeah, right. And 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 you know, so we, so he has those birdies late that would have changed the whole the whole dynamic of that final round. Next major is the PGA has what seven shot lead going into it. Plays awful, four bogeys on the back. Dustin, I think, was within one at one point. Now he wins that major. So I mean, it's not like we can discredit what he did those first three days to put him in a position where he could play a mediocre final round and have a chance. Fast forward, next major was the U.S. Open. Has an unbelievably hot start, if you remember. I think he birdied mm-hmm. something like four of his first five. Yeah. Um, doesn't birdie six. Woodland, flags. Woodland kind of was answered the bell, though. That was too, That was something Woodland that I think so was like good. a little a little bit of a he, – he threw a haymaker, but, you know, the – Woodland kind of got him back with something, you know, a cross or what? Wood, I don't know. Wood, Woodland so. birdied, th- Woodley birdied, birdied like like two of his third, first three holes or something. Um, Kepka hit it really close on seven, missed it, and I think he made one birdie the rest of the day. Never really put any pressure uh, on uh, on Woodland outside of that shot into eighteen, which I mean he did. I don't think he made birdie there, right? Didn't he? Didn't he chip it up there, mm-hmm. and miss the putt? Um, I don't. Think which it so. didn't. It didn't. It didn't matter anyway. Uh, Open Championship next. Shane Lowry big lead. Kepka bogeys like his first four holes, I think, on Sunday. And, uh, and I mean, you know, obviously you're trying to go out there and apply a little bit of pressure. He was playing with J.B. Holmes, couldn't do anything from that. Uh, and then you kind of get into 2020, Andy, and it's like, you know, we kind of saw a lot of the s- same stuff. PJ Championship in 2020, yeah. you know, he's talking all that trash about Dustin. He has the second worst score on Sunday of anybody in the field. Um, you know, he, he obviously did, he doesn't play winged foot. Uh, I don't really remember what he did at that Masters on. He missed know, maybe the he cut. He, yeah, missed the cut at the Masters because the knee, uh, the knee, the knee thing. He was oh, not. He, was he not, finished seventh. He finished seventh at the 2020 Masters. Yeah, and then and then and then he was injured. He like battling injury wasn't really in the in in, in much of the conversation there. And then really, I mean, you get into this PGA Championship and see what he played like on Sunday. There played very very mediocre golf. Made some very very questionable decisions on Sunday, trying to push. You know Phil Mickelson a little bit. I think you were kind of waiting for him to push Phil, and then here. I mean, he he's got a great chance at shooting at posting five under. Played great golf, basically for ten holes, eleven holes, and then bogey sixteen, bogey eighteen at Torrey Pines when he really needed a late birdie. So I'm just saying, over the last couple of years in these major championships, it has been a Sunday where we've seen Kepka struggle. And there's, I mean, basically if you go through every major, he's seen a struggle in some in some capacity there. So. I, I don't want to. I mean, listen. The guy's unbelievable in majors and gets himself in a position to where he can win one. But this Sunday thing is something I'm keeping my eye on. My question about this would be like when you point out where the struggles have come. You know, we saw Tiger was nails when he was ahead going into the final round, but then you know when he's chasing from behind, it was always the big thing. Tiger never comes from behind to win. Like, is it that? Is it the same thing with Kepka where? You know, when he's leading and he's out in front, he's, you know, almost impossible to take down. But when he's, you know, coming from behind, maybe there's something that he's trying to push a little bit more than he usually does. Maybe that's it. The the Kepka mentality that he talked about to, to that point does make sense, right? Kepka's mentality about these major championships where it's not having to be overly aggressive, don't feel not feeling like you have to make a whole bunch of birdies, just feeling like all you've got to do is play solid, smart golf. And then all of a sudden you do have to press late. Maybe that major mentality has to change a little bit. I think also, and I mean, this is something that we don't talk enough about. It's hard to win majors from behind, right? So 
it, it's so we, we you you guys laugh about this all the time. We chuckle about it a lot. It's hey, all this guy's got to go out and do is shoot sixty five on Sunday. You're like, yeah, but like that rarely, if ever, happens. So maybe it's just maybe chasing people down is really hard, and and that's why we don't see a lot of closing birdie birdie finishes, right? What there's been four ever in U.S. Opens now, and it's Hogan, Jack, Tom Watson, and John Rom. Like I mean that that that's that's wild. And and that shows that it's, it's very, very hard to kind of come back and do it. Do you think, uh, you think Louie doesn't make that putt if, if it's, uh, if it's not, if it's for the win on 18? I don't, I, I I'm, I love Louie. God, I love Louie, but I don't have a lot of confidence in him having to make one, you know, it's just, he made it, he made that one. Cause it, it, it truly didn't matter. We do a thing. We do winners that that don't win on golf today, and this we're not going to remember this Louis run in ten years from now. But we should. We should remember it. He shows up in every major right now. It's 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 remarkable to to see him do it. But you know the trophies matter, right? The trophies matter a, lo- a lot more than anything else does. And to finish second, you know, it's it. It's a good finish, but I feel like we don't we're not going to remember it a couple of years away going back on what Louie did basically going back to that Masters. Now for a quick word from our sponsor Smathers and Branson. So we've talked about the accessories. We've talked about the needlepoint belts. One specific belt that I love is the Life Belt. You can go on their website and use the Life Belt Builder. And what you can do is personalize your own belt. You can do, you know, obviously with that needlepoint belt, you're used to seeing the, you know, that logo of, say, your golf club going all the way around. What you can do is you can personalize each little logo on the belt. So, you you know, for me, if I was going to do it, I'd have, like, the line eye on there. I'd have the, you know, the Bears uh, for the Chicago Bears. You know, I'd have uh, probably some sort of band i might you know i might do the rolling stones i might do you know the uh the grateful dead i I don't know but i would have all different things i'd have a dog because i love dogs basically you can build something that's super personal and if you use our promo code fried egg no spaces you'll get 15 percent off your entire order plus free shipping you can uh check out the life belt builder at smathersandbranson.com and use the promo code fried egg to get 15 percent off your order now back to Shane Bacon. So we didn't get a really great open qualifier story this year. Uh, I feel like it's one of the rare years that we didn't, we don't get a great one. And, th- and this kind of illuminated a little bit when I, when Brenda and I did this Lee Trevino spotlight on Shotgun Start. But just how awesome having a field that's got a, a substantial open qualifier component to it, I thought was was really is really neat because it gives this like gives a player that comes out and plays against the best players in the world and shows out like a a different pathway to the tour we saw obviously like cam smith did it really successfully and uh from chambers you know finishing fourth at chambers getting his card you know a couple years ago at aaron hills we saw like this was like the breakout of xander shoffley he obviously had his pga tour card but he was heading for you know, losing his PGA Tour card. And then all of a sudden he finishes sixth at, at, at Aaron Hills. Cameron Champ was, you know, in that mix too. All these guys were, were qualifiers and it serves as kind of like a launching pad for careers. Andrew Landry, even to a smaller degree, you know, he was sputtering as a, a, a touring professional. And then Oakmont kind of like relaunched his career, gave him confidence. I, 
tell me, do you think there should there's space for more events where? And I think the key to this is having the best players in the world um, in the in the field. Like, if it's not the best players of the world, I think you lose a little bit. But like, what do you think about the idea of WGCs being the top, say, top seventy players in the world, like they are now, and then there's thirty open qualifier spots? I mean, I I love it. I, I think it's it, it gives it an identity all of a sudden. It's not just an everyday tour event. I mean, even if the WGCs want to say they're the best player, best fields in the world they're a little sleepy and they need an identity reshape. And so I love the idea of allowing these players that wouldn't be in the field otherwise to get a chance to get in there. I mean, I keep going back to this Cameron young run and uh, you know, I, I, I we're going to start, I think we're going to start this thing where we do our, our, our current five, the top five ranked players in the world. And there's an argument to be made last met last month that Cameron young's a top five player in the world. And so to get into those fields and to have a chance to compete, it, it, Andy, the, the, what you're what you're hinting at is to see more Will Zalatora stories, and I think everybody yeah. would sign up for more Will Zalatora stories because it has been so fun to follow him along. There are players out there that are good enough, given the opportunity, to go on tour and compete. Justin Suh is a player that keeps coming to mind. Justin Suh's had opportunity on the PGA Tour; it's taken him a little longer to kind of get in, in that space to be as competitive as Victor and Matt Wolf and Bryson and that crew, but we know he's talented enough to do so. Let's say he gets into a WGC by qualification and he plays well in top fives and that gets him in next week. And then he wins that next week. These things could happen. So I love the idea. I also love the idea of big events, holding spots for two time corn Ferry winners. I know that we're talking about promotion changing from three to two, but if you've won twice on the corn Ferry tour in a season, you should get auto invites into all the WGCs. Let's just give them a spot. And so now all of a sudden you're getting a bonus for the way you've played on the Corn Ferry Tour. But yeah, I, I love the idea of opening it up and having more qualification because we're seeing less qualification on the PGA Tour. I mean, you know, you're seeing LA Open losing the avail- the ability to, to, to play your way into these tournaments. And so let's open up the qualifying because golf is getting deeper and the talent is, is, is widening. You know, I mean, there, there's 400 guys that could win a professional golf event right now. Well, that's the thing I I think about is like, it's like, it's becoming more and more of a closed door and there's only, you know, a certain number of spots available through Corn Ferry Tour every year, you know, and and it's like these, this open, the U.S. Open and it's, it's been proven year after year after year. Like Xander's a perfect example. Like granted, he had his card, but he was not playing well. And then all of a sudden we saw him on the type of golf courses that he's now proven are suit him the best, the most difficult golf courses with the best players in the world. There's something that creates, you know, that brings the best out in him. He gets in the U S open cause he qualifies and all of a sudden now he's got his chance to perform on the best stage. And he, you know, the guy hasn't finished worse than seventh in a U.S. open since then. It, it, it's, I love the idea. I, again, I just think that, you know, every golf tournament right now should just be trying to think about how can I be unique? And the golf tournaments that the non-major golf events, the most successful events are the unique ones. I mean, you think about the waste management. It has a thing. Travelers has a thing. I mean, the Travelers has this unique ability to get the best fields post-major of any event we see. And so the Travelers all of a sudden is substantial. Um, the Scottish Open has a thing. It's, it's this Lynx tournament that is played right before the Open Championship. 
the Dunhill links has a thing. You're playing the old course in Carnoustie and Kings Barnes. Like these golf yeah. tournaments that I get excited about that aren't major championships all have something unique. And to be a great event, to make yourself separate than the regular PGA tour, you've got to have a thing. And that thing's either one thing you harp a lot on is be a great golf course. You know, I mean, Riv is always going to be Riv because the golf course is awesome. Pebble's always going to be Pebble because Pebble's awesome. Even with the celebrities there, you still want to see Pebble Beach on your television once a year. If you're the WGC and you're looking for an identity, I think this is a great way to make yourself something something new and something cool. Yeah, I mean, it would be so cool to be talking about like Ricky Fowler out there playing and he's playing a qualification round with uh, Cole Hammer. You know, because they're exactly. they're both trying to get into WGC, you know, China, you know. I mean, I, I think I think it's a great idea. You have you have a lot of brilliant ideas. I'm just going to tell you this is a good one. I, I liked this one. It just would it would automatically give the WGC so much more juice than they have. So what looking ahead, Open Championship, last major of the year. Who's who's the most desperate for for this open? Who would you say, what player would you say is the, is needs this open the most? I mean that I think the default answer is Rory, um, but I mean I don't think it's a, I, I mean unfortunately I don't think there's I don't I don't foresee it happening. So uh, I, I would say in a, in a in a weird way I think Kepka needs it. I think Kepka needs a major. I mean I. He has majors, and he will forever have these major championships. But to end the year with a Kepka major, to, to say I won one this season, Bryson didn't, or I guess this year, I know the season's been like 30 majors in this season, but to say you've won one this year, to end the, end the year with a Kepka major, for it to be an open, I, I feel like Kepka kind of needs one because he's been so close. And as I stated earlier, we're seeing a little shaky finish to, to Kepka's major run as of late. So I, I feel like he's a guy that I'd probably put on that list. What about you? I would kind of lean Kepka, you know, in the in the trying to be different. What about Spieth? I think like the the reclamation project and everything that coming back, like to fully be back, I think there's an exclamation point that could be made with a major win. To me, the the last hurdle for him back is the final rounds. That's where he's really mm-hmm. struggled. I think he shot in the 60s in one final round in 2021, and that's when he won in Texas. That's the only round in the 60s he shot on a Sunday. That's the next step for me with speed. The the finding whatever is going haywire in the final round, and he he's talked about this one percent better thing. So I mean, I do think it's still a work in pro in progress. But to me, to me, Kepka still trumps speed because. To Kepka, majors are the only thing he cares about, and for Jordan Spieth, th- this this return to the top of the world in golf, sure it would be helped by a major, but just playing well in these majors has been a big, good thing. To me, I think twenty twenty two is the Spieth year. I think twenty twenty two is when Spieth wins another Masters. Uh, looking at kind of the golf courses, I think they set up really well. I think U.S. Open sets up well for Jordan Spieth next year. So I'm looking more at next year as the major year for Spieth. I just feel like for Kepka. Now you're going a couple years without a major. It's like, all right, now it's not. This hasn't been as easy, and 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 it's harder to win majors than I thought it would be. Hey, by the way, I got I got to bring up. I got to give a shout out to Joel Klatt. So um, you'll appreciate this because you're a, a weirdo and and your mind works in mysterious ways as well. But I, I called Joel Klatt yesterday because I had a Ricky Williams Ron Dane thing I wanted to ask him about. Um, 
and we got into majors and he made an unbelievable point about Tiger and majors. And so I want to give clap credit. He said that when you leave events, when you leave a sporting event as an athlete, you leave with experience or scar tissue, right? And you either have the experience of being there and, and you take that away or you leave with scar tissue. And for Kepka, he never had scar tissue. Now he has it. He said, Tiger never allowed himself major championship scar tissue. He yeah. never left majors a loser. You know, he, every time he was in the hunt, he won him. All the scar tissue came after he lost to Yang. To Y.E. Yang. Everything, Everything that, that unraveled. Started. Right, right. And so for most of his career, he never had, he never knew what it felt like to lose a major championship. Now he never, he would not win every one of them, but he was either in the hunt or he wasn't right. And I just thought it was such a great point because you see all these young players, Spieth and Justin Thomas and Rory, for goodness sakes, has all the scar tissue in the world at majors. And now you're seeing it with Kepka and Dustin's had it, you know, in spades kind of earlier in his career. But Kepka now knows what it's like to be in the hunt and lose a major. That was something he never really experienced earlier in his career. So for Kepka to, to go out there and win one now would prove that he's able to kind of swallow the bad and, and push it away on a Sunday. And so it, still, it just reminds you of how impressive Tiger Woods that he went, what, 20 years where he never, if he was in the honey one, you know, I mean, that's, that's such an unbelievable thing to carry that no other pro golfer has the ability to carry around. You know, a sneaky answer to that question is DJ, you know, at the end of last year, early the, the you know, first three weeks of this year, it was like, God, this guy's the best player of the world. It's not even close. At right. this point, I don't feel that way at all. I, is he a you top know, 10 player? Like I'd say right he now, could probably argue he's not. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the sneaky thing about it, he wins an open. All of a sudden, he's. I almost would put him in, like, best chance at the career Grand Slam of any pl active player if he wins an open because then it's like, oh, all this guy needs is a, a PGA? Like, that's, right. that's the major he should have, like, four of by now, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that's, like, that could be a sneaky answer to that question as well. Is like, you know, like, this has kind of been a disastrous 2021 for DJ. Like, after that Masters win, it's like, well, like, you know, could this guy get to four or five majors by the end of his career? Six majors. Like, it, doesn't, it didn't seem like he was slowing down at all. And then he wins in Saudi Arabia. And maybe maybe there's a curse of the, the you know, the the prince over there or something. You Anytime somebody wins and goes about four months without winning, I think you call it a curse. So we're just oh, going to have – every tournament's going to have a curse. It's not – there's – you know, might be more to it than just the poor play, you know? Could be the new boat, though, too. So, hey, uh, Shane, are you going over to the open, or are we going to see you over there? I, I, I still am not a hundred percent. I think I'm doing a lot of stuff from here for the open, but I'm not sure. I, I uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm going to call um, some of the Olympics golf in, oh. in Connecticut. So I'm kind of gearing up for that and getting ready and going through kind of the notes and stuff like that. I'm going to be there uh, doing that, which I'm really fired up about. So I'm not 100% sure. Rory Sabatini is in. I, yeah. I, I saw that. I heard it. I was excited about it. But, uh, like, could I do that, Andy? Could I just could – Well, I, I think you have to be a certain rank in the world rankings. Okay. Like, you okay. know, like, I think that's the big barrier where, like, it can't be, you know, 
there's not like open qual. It would be cool if the Olympics had an open qualifying aspect too, because that would be really badass. If there was like you know two, say there's four spots for every team, two of them go to open qualifiers on every team, and you get like 17 year old kids like beating beating out the pros to to get a snag a spot. I, I'm with it. I love that all the four Americans in the Olympics are all young. I mean, I know we kind of have bagged on Ricky. Um, with the tattoo and all that stuff. But Ricky Fowler, I would say, did as much for Olympic golf as anybody. I mean, he talked it up. He loved the experience. He was vi- he was visible, right, as a golf Olympian in yeah. 2016. And he was young, Andy. He was very young at the time. I think he was 27 or 28. All four of the American guys going over are under the age of 28. I think that's really important. I mean, I think when you're 40 – Maybe you don't, maybe you're not as interested in doing this, but if you're 26, why wouldn't you go over there and, and, and be an Olympian? So I love that the four young Americans are all going to go over there and do this. I'm fired up for the Olympics because I think it's going to be very, very cool. And it's a reminder each and every year that it's a lot bigger than just one sport. It's a lot bigger than just golf, right? I mean, you, you said it on, on, on with the LPGA players and, and kind of the LET and, 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 you know, any, any golfer in, in this global game, especially a female golfer, it's as big a win as you can have. It's as big a, a tournament as you can compete in. And so uh, I'm kind of pumped. I'm, I'm, I'm just as pumped, if not more, to call the, the, the women's side of things than I am the men's side because I just feel like it's going to be such an enormous event. I think it's just like everybody has been so short-sighted, especially in men's golf, about the Olympics and the value of being an Olympic gold medalist. Like, they look at the FedEx Cup and they see, oh, you know, it's it's all this money. And it's like, guys, you're missing the long-term point. You know, like the golf might become like a big Olympic sport. Who knows? Like it's not off to the best start because of like, you know, a lot of a lot of it I think has to do with like the schedule makers of golf. It's kind of screwed it. But like in 20 years being an Olympic gold medalist is probably going to carry way more weight than being, you know, finishing eighth in the FedEx Cup for in terms of your ability to generate mon- money on a random day of the week for an appearance. If, if I asked you, and again, this is no knock to the FedEx Cup, I think the FedEx Cup has actually been a, an enormous benefit to, to the PGA Tour because it gives the players something to look forward to at the end or at least try to play for at the end. But if I ask you to name, and you know, I mean, you know as much about golf as anybody. If I ask you to name the last five FedEx Cup winners, I'm not sure. I think you could get it, but I think it'd probably take a little bit of time, and you might mix up a couple. But if I asked you to name the the six players on the podiums at the 2016 Olympics, you'd get all six right away. And that again, that's the point. Is that's a great point because it's Rose Stenson and uh, Kuchar, and then it was MB Park, Shen Shen Fang, and who finished third. That's the one I, Lydia. I might Lydia. Okay, so yeah, I mean, like easy. Rat, rattle them off, and 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 on and on the FedEx Cup again. It's like that's great, and I, I do think the FedEx Cup is exciting. I think that like as a person that watches a lot of golf, giving me something at the end of the year that you get the best players playing for, and you can tell it matters to them. Maybe the money doesn't matter to you and I, but it definitely matters to them because you see players struggle and even choke on that Saturday and Sunday at the Tour Championship, but. I just feel like in 20 years from now, let's say Justin Thomas wins a gold medal this year, right? And he'll have that forever over a Spieth who is going to be 30, 
33 next time the Olympics are around in, in, in men's golf. And you look at a, at a Ricky who will be 36 or 37 if he wants to qualify again. JT, if he wins a gold medal, will always have that. And, I mean, this is like Carmelo's the Olympic basketball player, right? Yeah. And that's the Carmelo thing. And so, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to write a big thing on Rory. I think I'm going to write something for, for GolfChannel.com about Rory and the Olympics as we get closer to it. But I, I just feel like it will, like to your point, I think in 20 or 25 years from now, we will, we're already talking about the importance of the Olympic medal in women's golf. I think it will get over to the men's side at some point once we have more Olympia, Olympians in our sport. Yeah, it, they're just they're being short-sighted about it, which is like they're looking at money today and not realizing the potential money tomorrow for for the Olympic gold medal, you know. If if Hideki wins the gold medal and he has a green jacket and a gold medal, it will go down globally as one of the great golf seasons that we can remember. It, yeah, it, it would be. It would be. It was like when Trevino won Sportsman of the Year. Like that's exactly. a, the type of story that Hideki having the the green jacket and the gold medal. It, it can contend with almost any sp- story in sports. I, I I agree. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be great. I'm pumped to see the golf course, and I love that there's a lot. I love that there's a lot of guys doing it. At least more than than, than there were in 2016. Willing to 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 see what this is all about cuz i think if you go see it and see what it's about you're going to enjoy it and want to be a part of it again. All right, Shane, everybody can find you on the Golf Channel almost every day, Golf Today co-host and then obviously at uh with your Get a Grip podcast with Max Homa. Anybody that doesn't listen to that that listens to this, i recommend that highly. It's a uh it's an unbelievable podcast and Shane uh, due to his, you know, relationship and many hours recording with max gets more out of a uh, active tour pro than anybody in the in the world gets out of uh you know almost any active athlete well i appreciate that i love you you're one of my favorites in the world thanks for having me on thank you all for listening hope you guys are having a great week um and uh, and yeah anytime you need me just let me know all right thanks shane Today's podcast was edited by Meg Atkins. You know, as a quick reminder, sign up for our newsletter. Will Knights does an unbelievable job. It's three days a week. It's the easiest way to stay up to date with golf. This was the first thing we started with at the Fried Egg. And I started it because I was a busy professional that rode the L into work every day in Chicago and was frustrated at how hard it was just to read about golf, like quick, insightful golf news and analysis from what's going on in the world. And that's the whole premise of this thing. So sign up. It's free. It comes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes a little bit more than that. And you sign up at our website, thefriedegg.com. There's a big bar right across the center that says sign up for our newsletter. Just enter your email. Trust me, we don't spam you. We're just sending you golf news. We want you to be more educated. A little water cooler talk. Stuff to talk about with your uh, friends on Saturday morning at the golf course. All right. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week with new episodes of the Friday podcast.